Hello, darling. Hi, darling. I am Tammy. And I'm Danny. And we are your curators of thought. Right here on Labeled Accordingly. Where we bring you a bit of truth, a bit of fun, and the best conversations. So, let's get into it. Happy Friday, darling. Happy Friday. Oh my gosh. Again, it always feels like it's been a really long week. It's always a really long week because we always have something going on in the week. You know, we're we're busy women. We're busy ladies. Busy, busy, busy. So, how's your week, babe? My week's been really, really good, actually. Um, A lot of lessons learned, a lot of conversations had, which is why we're here this Friday to share with our audience some of the conversations we've had. Yeah, so much conversations, everything revolving around why people act the way they do. Human behavior, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my favorite thing is people are going to people. <laughs> people are going to people and, you know, you can, you, you can bring people water, but they might not drink it. Yeah, that's but how I that works. It, you know, and they, oh, they might drink it later than you expected them to. People, peopling, that's what we do. That's what people do. I do, you do, we're just people, peopling. So we have been having conversations around the topic of, drum roll, please. Colorism. Yeah, it's it's such a tough one. I feel like it always comes up because it is always there's always some sort of conversation about your hair, my hair, the kids' hair, uh, something, 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 something. Um, particularly with my hair at the moment because I don't know, I'm kind of doing this like free blotsim thing. I don't know. It, it will change, but it's how it wants to look, and you know, people have comments about it, and they will continue to have comments about it now. Have you always loved your hair? No, I haven't always loved my hair, which is so bizarre because, you know, growing up, um, I was always told, you have really good hair. It's just really thick. Like thick is a bad thing, you know? Like, so I was always like, oh my gosh, my hair's so thick. It's a bad thing. It's terrible. I need to straighten the hell out of it. I need to go. And I remember when I first, first ever went to St. Lucia, the first thing my auntie did was get the hot comb out and hot comb my hair. To, and the, the funniest thing is, is when I think back to how my hair was when I, when I first went to St. Lucia, it was just long, thick and curly. Like nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. Like I could swim and do all the fun things as a kid. But then as soon as she took that hot comb out, I couldn't do any of the fun things anymore. Yeah, because you can't mess up your hair. Like yeah. You just spent five hours getting it straight and she'll be damned if you go in the water and yeah. mess that up. And I wanted to go in the water um, because, well, I remember, again, going to St. Lucia one time and um, I had <laughs> arrived to St. Lucia with a verruca on my toe. And then I, I went into the water and the verruca fell off and I was so mesmerized by it because my doctor in the UK had told me it would take about six or seven freezing sessions to have that wart drop off of my toe. And here I am entering the seas, the, you know, the magic of the Caribbean seas. And um, mm-hmm. it, it fell off within an hour of me arriving to St. Lucia. 
<laughs> so I just wanted to go in the water because I just thought the water was magical and and all of this sort of stuff and then um you know going every time as a child um wanting to play wanting to go on the beach wanting to do all the kids stuff so I that I could experience only to be told oh you've got to sit down for seven hours to to straighten your hair so you look decent and then not do anything it kind of created that it created the um the insecurity about your insecurity hair. and debt you know it, it 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 started this whole thing of spending hours in the hairdressers spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds on hair products and hair salon visits and weave and wigs and um color and maybe not coloring it because then you'll be in trouble for coloring your hair because you know it's not going to be as long as they want it to be and all of this sort of stuff and it, it just it spiraled so far out of control until I was about, I think I was about 28, 29. And I was just like, forget this. I literally want my hair to just do, to do whatever it does because I want to experience life. I really want to experience life. And, and I, you know, I was thinking I hadn't been swimming for ages. I was always scared to go to the gym because I was like, if I go to the gym, then my hair's going to sweat out and then it's going to take me hours to do this. And there used to be times where when I used to relax my hair and then, you know, that fate, that stage where it was growing out. So yeah. I used to take days off of work because I didn't want people to see that grow out stage of my hair. Oh my God. There's so much, <laughs> there's so much around our hair. So when I was little, I had the same thing. I had thick hair and I had long hair, um, but thick hair wasn't, cute right like the, the straighter you can get your hair the better and so I would perm my hair like I think it's recommended every 12 weeks for a perm yeah I would go every six weeks and some, and then it went as far as going every four weeks for wow. a perm so the amount of damage I did to my hair yeah. is insane and then I moved away from perms then I started doing braids I started doing a bunch of buck braids so for like mm. all of high school I only wore braids in my hair and you know, if you've ever had braids as a black woman, that is a 10 to 12 hour affair every yeah. single time. I mean, like, but we didn't even give thought to it because I needed my hair to look nice. So if it was time to take down my braids, same with you. And I didn't have enough time to perm it or do mm. something with it. I wasn't going to work. I was calling out of work because nobody yeah. was going to see my hair in its natural state. Like that was just not going to happen. And then... I started wearing weaves and I want to say three years ago, I went to my hairdresser and she took my weave down and my hair had grown out again. Um, and I had thin areas in my hair because of all the perming and all, yeah. all the yeah. tension on my hair, even from the braids. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like the, the sides of my head was really, really thin. And she's like, Oh no, it's growing in. It's getting so nice. And I sat in her chair and I was going, I think the hairstyle I wanted to get done at that time was like $175. And, you know, yeah. we would spend money yeah. like it's nothing. Yeah, yeah. It's normal. But then it, we'd worry about buying food. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and I said to her, I said, do me a favor, just shave it. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, just, I got, so, like, it, it was that moment. I just got tired of being, because my hair was like a prison for me. I was hostage yeah. in it. Yeah. And I said, just shave it off. I, I don't even want to deal with it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to have to think about. I want to be able to get in the pool and not think about my hair or my weave or my wig or anything. I just don't want to have to consider it. And I shaved my head off. And, you know, I was walking around with a ball head for 
maybe four or six months. And then I met Chaka, my wig godmother, <laughs> who introduced me to wigs because I'd never worn wigs. And I have fallen in love with them. And the thing for me that's freeing about wearing wigs is everybody is aware that I'm wearing it and I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no longer the girl thinking, oh my God, I don't want people to think it's a wig or I don't want people to ask if it's a weave or is that really all your hair? I don't give a damn. I look legit, you know, Dan. I will one day have, you know, the big lion mane to match Dan's hair because Dan has beautiful hair. It's a shame that you guys can't even see her, <laughs> but she has gorgeous hair. Like she has like that big lion mane, just beautiful hair. So if I want to match Dan in a day, I put on my big hair. If I want, you know, if I want to be professional, I got what I call my corporate wig. That's my corporate hair. <laughs> yeah, corporate pants. <laughs> that is my corporate hair. That's the hair I sit in meetings with potential clients and stuff like that. I do very short, very corporate hair. And then I have fun, playful hair where I may add a little color. I may be blonde or red. Um, and then I got my vacation hair, which is my braided wig. Mm. Like I... And I love the freedom that it gives me that I'm not concerned about whether or not you think I look good in a wig, whether you think I should be wearing a wig. Like nobody's now, nobody's opinion of my hair matters. Yeah. Yeah. And for, I would say the first maybe 35 years of my life, everybody's opinion of my hair always matters. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've had, um, people's it, like people's opinions would make me go, oh my gosh, oh I will go here or I won't go here, um, and like you know there were times where I just wouldn't go on holiday or girls trips with certain people because I would be worried that they would see my real hair and um, that would really bother me a lot. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's not until you really sit down and you think, okay, where did I get this from? Because, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about diversity and inclusion. And a lot of people will say, you know, when you go into white environments, um, they're the ones who tell you that your hair's not professional or this or that. And, and you mm -hmm. know, we've really thought about it because I can, I can hold my hand up and say I've never had a white person tell me my hair wasn't professional however it's been so whether you know it's, whether it's been in a weave whether it's been in braids whether it's been in um uh like my natural state even now where I'm just kind of doing this hippie thing with my hair I've never had a white person who said to me your hair's not professional or treated me any differently to how they how you know people treat me Mm -hmm. So I really was like, where did I get this idea that if I go into the workplace and my hair looks like this, it would go wrong or like people would feel bad about me. And I really, really thought about it. And I just and, and then I remember the most recent time was I was in the workplace and my um, boss at the time, who was the CEO of the company, who was also a black man. Mm hmm said something about hating afros and it threw me because I was like oh like okay that is not the first time I've heard that from a black person and then it made me think about all of the experiences that I've had with my hair so I started thinking about times where I was told like you know it doesn't look neat or it doesn't mm -hmm. look tidy or that you know when I had when I've had my hair in like cane rows or cornrows it was just that it didn't look good because there was a little bit of a mat to it. And this is me at like, you know, five, six, seven years old. And I'm like, who was saying this to me? 
And it was the black members of my family who had been saying that to me my entire life, that my hair wasn't good enough to be shown for other people to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I really sat with it and I was like, well, maybe that's the reason why I walked into the workplace thinking that I couldn't go into the work if I had roots showing mm-hmm. um, or, or things going on. And it had nothing to do with anything that I had heard any of my colleagues say. It was all of the subconscious teachings that I had had throughout my life from as young as probably three years old being told that my hair looked messy or it was too big or it was too wild or it was too curly or it wasn't curly enough or it wasn't you know black enough it wasn't dark enough I oh why did I bleach it why didn't I bleach it like all of that sort of stuff that really stuck with me but they had all come from people that I love yeah and the people that looked like you and the people who look like me the people who look like you I you and I've had this conversation and I, I I I'm gonna hold my hand up on this one too I have never ever been in a workplace and had somebody white either through bosses or co-workers or anybody else comment on my hair other than wow how did you do that yeah or wow that's so neat how long did that take all of the negative talk around my hair has always been from black people and to your point I think we take this into the workplace with us And we just lay that at the feet of white people when I think if people stop, I think if they consider, and I'm not saying there's not black people out in the workplace who haven't been told by a white manager, we don't think your hair is appropriate or we don't think your hair is neat. That's not what we're saying. But I think more than not, the ideas that we walk into work with about what we deem as appropriate or professional, those biases came with us through the door. Yeah. And we lay that at the feet of, HR or white bosses or white co-workers and they had nothing to do with that that was our stuff that we didn't own absolutely I think obviously like when people want to when people mostly talk about it they go back in time where they go back to there was a time where white people created it and we've now you know we we sit with that and blah 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 but we know better now and guess what people are still doing it so we know better so it, so even as early as last year when we had the salons here that were open um and I was in the salon and there was this gorgeous black lady who was having her hair done and she said she was talking to to the hairdresser or her hairdresser having her hair styled and she said i'm so grateful and thankful that my daughter didn't get my hair she got her dad's hair because he's white and i i it kind of took my breath away and i was like what that's what she's like she so she's told her daughter that she is better because she doesn't have hair like her so when her daughter goes into the school and I don't know how old her daughter was I'm presuming she was quite young Mm. but I'm thinking so when she goes so when her daughter goes into school her daughter is going in saying my hair's better than yours to all the other brown girls and it seems okay because that daughter even though she's biracial Mm -hmm. she's still a brown girl so it won't seem like anything bad yeah you know insidious because it's another brown girl saying it but that daughter now has grown up with my mum's hair is terrible and I'm so glad I don't have hair like my mum's because anyone who has hair like my mum has terrible hair. 
yeah. because that's what my mum has told me. Yeah. And her mum could not have been any older than me. So she looked like she was in her mid thirties. Mm-hmm. And those are her views. And we are, so we sit in this space where we say, oh, if we know better, do better. We know better now. And we still don't do better. And we still don't do better. We- and now, so is that us? So can we blame the not doing better on white people? Can we do that? Can we blame the not doing better on historical things that we now know have happened? Um, can we still blame that on white people? Or are we now teaching the next generation to carry on with this nonsense? Yeah, I think we're teaching the next generation to carry on with this nonsense. And I think because nobody ever challenges us on where we got this awful feeling about ourselves and our hair from. And I, like I said, all of my internal struggle with my hair being too long, too thick, too thin, spotty, you know, then in these areas and all of that came from black people. And the truth is when I walk into spaces, if I don't feel great about my hair, I'm not even concerned about what white people think about it. I'm concerned about what the other black people in the room are thinking about my hair. I'm not even concerned. And I think if black women sat with that for a second, they will find that that's true for them too. Their audience in relation to their hair is always somebody black. The audience for us is never somebody white. What? And, and and you know that is so telling from this season's episode of um real housewives of atlanta mm-hmm. so um oh i can't remember what the girl's name is so there's the one who latoya. is there's latoya and the one who Drew, she keeps talking Drew's about the- her with drew's wigs yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and i'm almost like why is this a storyline why are we doing this and she talks about this girl's hair all of the time and it's not her saying I would love to see what your hair looks like underneath because, you know, I feel like your hair underneath might look, but it, they're not, it's not a nurturing or loving conversation. It's a dragging, shading, shaming, shaming conversation that she is having about another black woman's hair. Right. And, and, you know, and that's really what the issue is, is you don't want to be the black woman that lets down the other black women when you go into the workplace. I don't think it really has anything to do too much with the white people because, you know, white people are, are, are white people are happy to go into work with their bed hair. Right. You know, and I think for the whole, apart from the odd stories we hear about schools telling children to have certain hair types, the majority of workplaces are so casual now yeah. that you can go into the workplace with your hair. It is actually an issue for us because we are, like you said, we're going into the workplace saying, okay, I don't, I don't want to be the black girl with the nappy edges. I don't want to be the black girl that lets down all the other black girls. I don't want to be the black girl that doesn't have her neat locks done and yeah. all of this stuff. Like, we're really thinking that. Not, we don't care. We don't have the same hair textures as other white people. So we can't be comparing our hairs to their because to this. our hair would never be like that. Right. So, we right. are comparing our hair to each other and each other's standards of, professionalism right what is beautiful what is acceptable what yeah. is good hair i mean chris rock did a whole documentary around this issue because of his children um yeah. feeling insecure about their hair which uh, we need to I, I i am never for people because i think this instills some of that self-hatred too because i think at the time the reason why he did this was because they chose as black people to enroll their children 
in an all-white private school. Yeah. And I think that is, I, I don't think that's the best cause of action for, so if you have two little black girls in a school where mm. everybody who's white and everybody's hair is straight and flowy and long and the other white girls are playing in each other's hair yeah. and they have this texture hair, yeah, they may come out of that situation with a complex about their hair. Well, that's a that's a whole other story that, that, of, on the colorism thing, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that's because a whole. Nother... Why are we more comfortable with sending our children into predominantly white, white spaces? spaces? That's another conversation on the colorism on train. On the colorism train, because white people <laughs> typically don't send their white children into predominantly black schools. Well, that's the funniest thing. So when I lived in, <laughs> I lived in the hood uh, for a, a long while. So in I the British in hood, you know, well, in the British hood. Well, we say Tammy still thinks British people are all cup of tea. Yes, and I was about to say, were you having tea in the hood? You probably yeah, were. She she absolutely thinks that about Brit. But you know, well, are we having slowly so she understands <laughs> that the British hood is not that but anyway so I lived in in Lewisham which is in southeast London and um, my daughter was quite small so we went she went to the local school because it was the nearest school I want and it was still very diverse there were a mixed group of people but it was predominantly there were predominantly black and brown children at these schools and I know that a lot of my neighbours because I lived in the hoods and the hood is where they always gentrify <laughs> so all of my neighbors were, def- were were quite like upper middle class people who have found these really cheap homes mm. and then they start to you know build outwards and build it up and change it but those people who moved into the to the area they didn't send their children to the local of school. course they didn't they absolutely would still find a school that was a little bit away one that they had to pay for one that mm, I mean, I didn't go to those schools. I'm going to say that maybe they were diverse, but I'm sure they, it wasn't as diverse as the school that my daughter went to. Um, and those were the schools that they chose to send their children mm-hmm. to. Um, and then you get the middle class black people who will absolutely do the yes. same thing. Yes, yes. And I, 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 I am still baffled by this, this thing that we do with our children. So... He, they decided to do this, to send their children into an all-white environment. And I don't know why you would do that. And I'm not saying that white people are bad or anything like that. But there's no way a child, children that young and impressionable, cannot be influenced by what's around them. And if everything around them doesn't look like them, then they start having their own issues. Yeah. When, when Mike and I first, when we got married, I remember him saying to me, that we would not be sending our children to private schools, predominantly white private schools. And I said, why? He said, because it's a drug infested den. And he said, our, we won't be concerned about our kids um, just smoking pot. He goes, I can tell you as a white, ki- white kid, when he was going to school, especially in a Catholic school, he goes, there were kids driving around with like kilos of cocaine in their cars, driving by the school police, waving to them, stopping and talking to them because they never, <laughs> because they know that they aren't the suspects. And he was like, the kind of drugs that those kids were into were the heavy metal stuff, like the stuff you're going to be sending your kid to rehab by the time they're in 12th grade. And yeah. he was like, and yeah. I could just imagine our kids trying to have to fit in with people that don't look like them and falling into peer pressure 
to belong and to fit in. And then they get into some stuff we can't get them out of. Well, I'm going to be absolutely honest. Um, and I don't know if you ever read my blog about my middle class epiphany. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so I grew up in a very, I grew up in on the poor side of town, but I ended up going to school with very, 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 very affluent upper middle class um, young women. And, um, all of my friends who I most the majority of them all fell into um class a drugs Mm -hmm. by the time we were in by the time we were about 14 15 they were taking a class a drugs and then I found out that most of their parents were also taking class a drugs um so it was kind of it it was it was normalized in that world it was very normalized but uh, in, in probably in the same way that like beating your children is normalized in the black community um so um i i, I always found it really tricky that the, that these were not the conversations that and all parents were, were not having with their children but particularly understanding like how what is normalized in different communities and also not sitting and thinking why is it that i'm sending my child to that particular school when I know yes maybe academically on paper and in theory it has higher grades they, they my child might come out with um much more better education a, a rounded education yeah but in on paper we we all know that there definitely are um there definitely are experiences, regardless of what your school education is, that will hinder your child's experience. And sometimes that is about how they form their mm-hmm. identity and how that hinders them. And that might so it almost it always did throw me that there were um, parents, especially ethnic minority parents, who say, "I want to put my child into this particular environment that might be great for them academically, but from a mental wellness it's mess perspective." Them up is it's going to mess them up um and i and i i can definitely say that my experience thankfully the primary school i went to was a little bit more um diverse so i i got to have a bit more of a rounded experience you know at the crucial ages so by the time i got to secondary school here so when i got to about 13 12 13 i'd already understood yeah who i was So had I not been that child, had I been the child that was thrown into a world that I didn't understand when I came home, I probably wouldn't be the, the, the 37 year old woman now who is able to just wear her hair in yeah. whatever way she wants to. Um, and I think some of I, I think some of the choices that the, that parents made may be. Um, maybe the the conversations that people who are in mm-hmm. our age bracket now, it may be the reason why they're having these conversations with their children about good hair and Becky with the good hair and all of this sort of stuff, um, because they were thrown into environments that didn't really right. nurture and they couldn't navigate. They, they couldn't navigate that environment because it's not it's not people who look like you, sound like you, you know, talk like you, behave like you. Culturally, we all have different mannerisms and behaviors that's unique to who yeah. we are. Like Italians do, you know, you meet an Italian from New York, New York, and New Jersey, it's going to be very different than an Italian down here in Florida who's just laid back in the flip flops. Yeah. Or, or an Italian or, from Milan. An Italian from Milan, right? So there's like, there's things that are culturally um, important to a group of people. And 
So I, mm-hmm. I never understood why black parents. And the thing is, I don't even think Chris Rock considered that he had to make that documentary for his daughters about good hair because of what they did in setting them up to feel so horrible about their hair. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, sometimes the, sometimes they don't, you don't think, and then it gets to a place where maybe the parents do recognize it, but it's gone too far now. The conversation turns into, oh, it wasn't us, it was the white people that you went yeah. to school with. It, it was the it was the white people who made you feel this way. We we played no part, and we are just here to nurture you and, and and make sure you know that it was the white people who upset you, and it wasn't us. It had nothing to nothing to do with how we brought you up into believing that white right. is right, um, which again is a another conversation on the colorism another train. <laughs> um, but you know it's it, it's now we're now we're here in this space where we understand that some of the things that that we experienced as young people um may have been contributed to us mostly mm-hmm. by the people you know the people we love the people who who brought us up now it's it's, it's almost understanding that how do you now have those conversations with your young people because from my experience and what I'm experiencing now it's the blame Mm -hmm. game it's the well you know colorism was derived from slavery and blah 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 blah, and all of this sort of stuff whereas I really want people to start taking accountability for the conversations that they are having that are not contributing to a wholesome child you know and and you are now you now are now aware of the things that can affect your children. And I would prefer that the conversations weren't pointing fingers and blaming right. um, white people. I, I want it to be sitting down and being introspective and saying, okay, well, these things happened, but what am I, what part am I playing and how can I limit, how can I limit this? Without blaming, without blaming white people for the way I raised my well, children. Well, I had a conversation and I, I, I was telling you about it. I was having a conversation with... Uh, potential um connection potential client and we were walking through some of like what we do in our bias training and he was like i'm kind of blown away by what you guys do like your training sounds awesome like like i would actually he said to me he was like it would be a training i probably would come into as a white person with my shoulders relaxed based on how you guys conduct your training sessions and he said to me, he said, I'm going to say this to you um, because I feel like I can't say this to you because that's how, that's what we do. We create safe spaces where people just open up and say what they got to say. And he said that he <laughs> realized he developed a bias when hiring black women that their hair had to be straight or deemed professional. And so I started yeah. to probe him on that. And I asked him, I said, where did you think you got that from? that straight hair on black women was more professional. And he's like, huh, I, I just, I, I just always thought that. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's dig. Let's just dig, you know, cause that's what we do. We dig. Mm-hmm. I said, um, <laughs> how many conversations did you have in your home with your wife, your mom, your dad, your aunt about black women's hair? And he said, I didn't have any of any conversations about that. It's like, okay. How many conversations did you have with your wife and friends like going out for dinner or drinking? You see something and all of a sudden you're talking about some black person's hair. And he goes, never, I've never done that. He goes, I, 
I guess I would look and say, oh, that person is attractive, but I wasn't, I don't pay, wasn't paying attention to their hair. I said, okay, so thus far we've established you didn't get this bias from the white people in your life. Okay. So let's, let's just dig Mm -hmm. some more here. I said, the black women that you hired or that was, that you worked with through, you know, over the course of the years, what kind of conversations did you hear them have about their hair? And he said, oh, they always had conversations about their hair, about, oh, it's really nappy mm. today, or, you know, they got to go get their hair done, and they just didn't feel good about their hair, and they love when their hair is straight, or, because um, at, at the time, I don't even think he understood what weave was, like, you know, when you, you yeah. know, they would yeah. come back to work, and their hair would be straight, and I'm like, oh, she got a good weave, and she came back to work, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, but he said, I when they would come back to work with their hair straight, they would feel better. They would almost perform better. And I understand that because, you know, Dan, when I get all dressed up and I beat my face and put my... When, you put on when I put dress, on my dress and I put on my hair... And, when Tommy put on that dress and clutch her pearls, you know that's going to be a good exactly. day. So I get it. I understand <laughs> when people, you know, whether it's your hair or your clothes or your makeup, whatever, whatever makes you feel good, when you've, when you've done that, you're going to show up into the workplace differently. So what had happened to him was because he'd worked with other Black women, and manage other black women and all the conversations they were having around their hair. He then picked up the bias. Oh, when their hair is straight, they look more professional. They're happy at work. They're a little bit more motivated. And slowly over time, he became the white guy that preferred straight hair on black women. And to your point, I think a lot of people, if they sit with this, your bosses that are white or supervisors that are white. And again, please, this is not everybody. There's going to be exceptions to what we're talking about. There is going to be a white boss who just thinks dreads and, and things are nasty and everything else. They're going to be the white boss who don't like curly hair. That is going to be there. But I think majority of these hair issues that we take into the workplace with us, they, they come into the workplace with us. And we have influenced sometimes our coworkers and bosses who are of a different race to hate our hair in the same way we talk about how we hate it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I I agree. And it's mostly because, you know, it's the, it's, it's the, let's go back to the woman who was in the store. So let's say that in, you know, 20 years time, that woman's daughter is going to be the mixed race lady at work being, calling herself Becky with the good hair, because that's what her mum yeah. told her she was. And she's going to make the me's and you's of the world who have a different hair texture feel a little bit terrible about ourselves because our hair is not the Becky with the good hair. You know, she's going to be the person who feels a little bit more confident about walking into a room and okay with saying, are you going to brush Mm. your hair today to us and be okay with it? One, because her mum has taught her that she is superior now because her hair is good hair because she didn't get her mum's hair remember she got her white dad's hair and and on top of that she also possibly has the mum who also feels the same Mm, about her skin mm, colour yeah or her skin tone so now she's like my mum's always told me that my hair's amazing my skin tone's amazing because I don't look like her and and I don't have hair like her so now this woman in 20 years time is going to be the woman who walks into the workplace and tells the mm-hmm. user me's of the world in that workplace 
that we Mm -hmm. need to look professional that we need to have our hair done and we need to maybe Mm -hmm. be our skin Mm -hmm. or whatever sorry any other skin lightening products that's out there um so we need to be the people who are more mindful about the conversations we are having with our children because we absolutely are not the people who are leaving our children at, I don't know, nursery school or school and then uh, by accident our children are hearing this. We are most certainly the people that are having some sort of detrimental conversations about our skin, our hair, um, our mannerisms, what's ghetto and what isn't ghetto in front of our children and and then our children deciding that they are superior or inferior based on our opinions of blackness yes now i know that's going to hit some people a little you know you don't have to grab your gut on that one because that's going to hit some people but i absolutely think um and you know you and i were having this conversation and you pointed this out to me because i did not know that i actually had a beauty bias um I did not know that. And Dan was like, well, that's your bias. Because I am the girl who, you know, I do like my hair and my makeup and being dressed. And I just love fashion. So part of it is just fashion. I just love the whole look and put together. And it's a pretty abnormal bias. Do you know what I mean? Like if it, whenever I, like Tammy and I show up on camera, people will look directly at Tammy first and be like, oh my God, she's like so beautiful. And that's the normal you know what I mean? That's like a normal thing for way for people to react because we 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 you know if we even if we just go by the dating apps, let's go with twin t- let's call it twin because it's just like we are picking people <laughs> twindle app. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we're picking people based on what they what they look like. So that is a normal yeah. reaction for people to see someone who's all who's done up looks really good and is you know presentable quote-unquote and so that's a normal reaction and I and I think to be honest the only the only issue that that might ever come off that is if you have if you're not aware of it and then you start treating people differently because you think that everybody should look like you Mm -hmm. by and by your standards Mm -hmm. you know and I think that's the only thing that comes off of it but that absolutely is what some black parents are doing to their children they're saying well you know I didn't get to have your looks and if I had had your look I would have made sure that I did a b and c and d and d because I'm because you're superior you are a superior child because not because of anything other than you have light skin and yeah 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 and that's our own internalized thing about how we have made like we we talk about white supremacy and i've said this to you a lot i'm like white supremacy on its own Mm. could not have existed this long unless you had minorities participating in the behaviors of supremacy that puts this person um higher than yourself And, and you just demonstrated that by that mom who's saying well you have lighter skin and you have straighter hair so that makes you better than the rest of yeah. m- even me, your black mom, who has a darker skin yeah. and a kinkier texture hair. And so this is how we promote white supremacy, but we don't take responsibility for our role in this thing still being yeah. around. No, we blame again, it. We white people on their own couldn't have couldn't have kept this thing going. It. Well, yeah, and it's almost. I think the most infuriating thing is, is like it's like when you've got someone 
who's that who has um done something to you that's contributed to your hurt or pain or something physical um and they say well actually it's not my fault that i hit you or i shouted at you or i did something to cause this pain it's because my mum was physically violent with me when i was a child and you're like okay i absolutely i'm sorry that your mum did that to you like that's not cool but you are so aware of what hurts people now that i can't even acknowledge what your mum did anymore because you are aware that that behavior wasn't right like if you were saying to me i i didn't Mm -hmm. do anything that's different you are absolutely aware that telling your child that they look better or they will be better in life or they're more superior in life because they adopted a more eurocentric look it's not great for their oh for your okay forget mine or my child but you it's not great for their own well-being because at some point they will have to wake up to the fact that that is not actually quite true no listen these are these are the conversations we need to be having and i think this is what makes what we do our work in bias training i think fulfilling for us because the conversations we're having on this podcast is the conversations we we talk about with people in trainings because i think until you can actualize a scenario for somebody until you can put them in it they don't always get it and i feel like a lot of what happens in bias and diversity training is people are talking at people and not having the conversation with people right and so we want to have the conversation with you we're not talking at you Um, But we want to have the conversation with you. And I think Black people, as it relates to this colorism thing, we have to hold our hands up and own our role in it because it's not enough to say, well, white people did that. And, you know, slavery happened and all of this and all of that. Oh, listen, all of that happened. Yes. All of it was horrible. Yes. They're still built systems that support sometimes our um, ability to move freely within the countries that we reside. Yes, all of that is true. But what is the thing you can control? The thing you can control is the messaging you give your children about who they are in their blackness. And if you're saying, oh, I'm so glad you got that hair. Oh, I'm so glad you're a shade lighter. We talked about this on the last podcast. Uh, about Meghan Markle um, and the royal family wondering how dark the baby was going to be. And to me, personally, that's not an unreasonable thing. You know why it's not unreasonable to me? Because that's what Black people do every day. Black people come to the hospital and will lift up the the newborn baby's little hat to look at the tip of the ear to see how dark this baby yeah, is going to see to be. how dark they will yeah. run their finger through the Absolutely. baby's hair to, to gauge how nappy or coarse it's going to be. So when we are doing yeah. that, yeah. can we really stand on any, you know, stand on our soapbox about, I cannot believe the Royals did that. We do that every day. Absolutely. It's so funny. I remember seeing, Um, (laughs) I also remember seeing this girl, there was something on Instagram and there was this girl that I used to follow 
and she um, was on holiday or something. So she'd taken a picture of her maybe in the beach or something like that, at the beach or something along those lines. And um, one of someone else that I follow, a guy, he said, oh my gosh, like, look how dark you are to the black girl. And her response was, I know it's so embarrassing. That's why I had to um, throw a filter over it. But this is white people's problem, right? Okay. And and this is the thing. It's like, you know, we can do the outrage. Oh, my gosh. I'm so outraged. The royal family said something out of it. Or we could actually sit there and go, do you know what? I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad did say he mm-hmm. prefers lighties. Mm-hmm. You know? Like my dad, my dad did, my dad did say like, he did only go for mum because she was a lighty or uh, my mum, my dad wouldn't ever go for dark skin, but you know, lighty to browning, absolutely fine. You know, and we, 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 we're not going to see that as racism and we're not going to see that as contributing to factors, like especially in the workplace. So, because when you have these people in the workplace, do you not think that they are the people who will contribute to, they, they, are they not the people who become my CEO? who walk into the workplace and say, I hate Afros, like openly fine, okay, casual, no problem. Are they not the black people who become those black people in the workplace? And so at what point are we really creating inclusive workspaces if that's how we are allowing um, our children to think and grow up in, in, in right. that space because and I with those thoughts? Because I was one of those black managers that talked, talked to my black employees about dressing appropriately. I was definitely one of those black managers saying to mm. my employees, well, that's not really professional, right? Had nothing to do with their work, had nothing to do with their ability to do work. It had to do with my own biases about what I saw as acceptable or what I thought black people should show up as, right? So yeah, you absolutely become those black mm. people who then inflict all of your own nonsense and bias about your race, your color, your hair. And you inflict that on other black people in the workplace because again, I have never in my career, and I've worked since I was 17 years old until I started my business, I've never in my career ever had a white person from HR to a supervisor to a manager to a a CEO to a VP ever say anything to me about my hair other than, I love how every day it's a new Tammy. We don't know who we're getting the next day. That's it. (laughs) And that's it. The thing is, is I think people are more worried and concerned about what they assume people are thinking than actual hearing that stuff from their actual family members like what you assume white people are thinking is just an assumption like that's it what you assume people are thinking is not real because they haven't said it so your assumptions are based on whatever your own insecurities are about whatever that thing is um when it actually happens is what contributes to those assumptions and you're not linking it back to the people who actually did the act on you. You're assuming that because your parents have said, oh, you know, my colorism came from, you know, a time when it was like slavery and I wasn't there, but that's why I say the things. Um, you're, and it's because of white people. You're bringing it back to your workplace and those work colleagues instead of saying, listen, mum, you can't say that stuff about my hair because that is actually contributing to all of the conversations that we are having around diversity and inclusion. 
and it would be absolutely detrimental. I mean, my yeah. my mum's still in the workplace, you know. So all of those thoughts that whatever mm-hmm. my mum might have about hair and skin tone and what they're still being right. Um, people are being affected by that. So it doesn't matter. And, that and she's we a we, black we woman. deem it acceptable coming from a black woman. For some reason, <clears throat> when another black person says it, it's not as offensive to us, but it should be just as offensive. Like it yeah. shouldn't be less offensive that somebody yeah. or anybody is coming to you, well, black, <laughs> white, brown, or anybody is coming mm. up to you and saying your hair is unkept, your hair is untidy, you don't look professional, right? But we'll, we will allow other black people to come and say that to us. And then we will go, oh, I saw yeah. um, S- um, Susan looking at my hair and Susan asked somebody about my hair. She didn't need to be asking about my hair. And Susan probably just was asking, Mm. Susan just wanted to know how did you do a weave because Susan don't doesn't know that you sew the weave into your head. I had lots of people in my workplace who absolutely first off they were asking the question and then secondly they were like, "Might try it. Looks thicker." You know they're asking the question. Do you know what was? Remember I told you the other week when I went into the store to go pick up some food and because I have only ever had weird situations about my hair with other black people i wasn't expecting this so i walked into the food store to get some food and the music in the store was quite high and you know i'm i'm, I'm getting old now so Real my old, hearing's damn. not that great so the girl, <laughs> the girl who was serving me she was she looked at me but she was like pointing towards my hair and i was like oh here we go like someone's gonna say something about my hair and I, immediately i kind of got defensive like my my like my body got kind of defensive and it got tight because I was thinking oh what's she gonna say is it gonna be like you know something weird so anyway she I said oh I didn't hear what you said and she said she said to me I love your hair it's amazing I can't believe like it's thick I'm trying to get mine better like she's saying all of this positive stuff and in my head I'm just like what what and I just wasn't expecting her to say anything positive about my hair because it's not normal to hear that. And that is the sad thing. It's not normal to hear positive stuff from other black women about hair textures that are not like, yeah. you know, free. Yeah. No, no maybe four like and three below. Like, really it's not curl. Um, I think anything above that is. Yeah. As, I mean, they, they black women will compliment you on the thickness of your hair. If you got really thick hair. And that's only been lately yeah. because yeah. of the natural hair stuff that's been going around. So now to have thick hair is like, yeah. it is now the gold standard, right? So I think that, but for the most part, in terms of yeah. the actual texture of your hair, we are still obsessed with the 3C and yeah. below. And so for those of you who may be white and listening, below. you're like, I don't yeah. know what 3C is. It basically, it's a, it's a scale of how loose a curl your hair pattern has. And so if you are below a 3C, you, you're starting to get to really straight, almost white territory. And 3C, it's just like that really loose curl that maybe people mistake you for, um, sometimes most his, some Hispanic people have that type of hair. So that's what, yeah. you know, you will either see with, um, now to your point. Okay. I want to share the story with you. So I'm friends with um, a young lady. She, they, they're, they're biracial, but they are, they could if they were born in the 40s or 50s, they could pass as white. I mean, like they, they yeah. are white passing. The yeah. only thing that lets you know they're not white 
is because for as light skin as they are, they hair. For as light skinned Say, as again? they are, they have 4C hair. Like that really yeah. tight, coily hair that clearly identifies that somebody in your tree look alike of me. And I remember her saying to me, I cannot believe for as light as I am, I ended up with this hair. Mm. Because had she ended yeah. up with a 3C3B hair, she absolutely would have been the black person probably passing as a white person and really sitting and judging everybody else who did not look like her. But the universe said, okay, I'm going to humble you and give you this 4C. And she hates her hair because she is, she absolutely could be white passing. But the only thing that stops her from being white passing is she has kinky, coily hair and she hates her hair. That's how insidious mm. colorism is within our own community, that even if you have the skin tone, you then want yeah. the hair to go with said skin tone. And when those two things don't match, it becomes a problem. Yeah. I think it, it's it's a shame because I don't really care how anybody's hair yeah. is for, per se. Like I don't care. But what I really, really, really care about is that before you do anything to your hair, just know that like if you if you're doing something to your hair who and whatever ethnicity you are if you're doing something to your hair because you hate your hair maybe spend time just enjoying your hair and loving your hair first and for before you do it because it's almost it's always the same for me as the same advice I would give to anyone mm -hmm. who was going to have cosmetic surgery you know like make sure you're not doing it because you're trying to cover something up because at some point it will come back when you have children for example you have children and you use that cosmetic surgery to cover up your nose you might have a child that has a nose that you hate and then what do you do you tell that mm. child that they they should hate their nose as well so it's really trying to give it some time to consider what is it that you hate about your hair because I absolutely like I said it was a journey for me to get go from <laughs> I really hate that this is the hair I got to yeah you this do love it, I and I love it as much as well. Um, and for me, I, I, I'm one of these people, like, if, if it's a wash day that I don't want to do, I will take the clippers to my hair and just bald it. I mean, like, I, and, you know, <laughs> I have people go, how do you do that? Like, your hair was growing so fine. Like, it was getting thick. And I'm like, because I'm no longer a slave to it. I'm no longer a slave to it. If I want to let it grow, yeah. I will let it grow. If I'm just exhausted by it, I will shave it off. I will walk around with a ball head and a beat face and be as cute as if I had hair down my back. And I don't care in terms of like what my dating prospects is going to be. And, oh, you know, does a man like hair and don't like hair? And does a man like wigs? Or does he not like wigs? I'm not even concerned about that. Like, this is who I am in all of my glory. I'm not changing my skin complexion. I am a beautiful dark complexion. And my scent, my skin loves the sun. It soaks it up. My skin loves the sun too, but <laughs> I live in England. <laughs> so I, I, I am just, I'm, I'm at a place now where I love my skin. I can get on camera with makeup, without makeup. I, I post pictures with makeup, without makeup. I post pictures with hair, without hair. I'm just happy in my skin. 
And I think when you radiate the confidence about who you are, you draw people into you. And it doesn't matter what those people look like. They can be white people, yeah. brown people, black people. People are attracted. They'll just be people. That's they it. are just people and who resonate with your energy. And that's it. You will, They will not look at you and go, this, that, whatever. Yeah. They will just resonate with you. And whatever else you've got going on top of your head or, you know, on your face. You. They don't care. Like, absolutely don't care. And, you know, I, I, I had to make peace with the fact that I will probably leave this earth with acne. So, like, for yeah. pretty much my entire life, I have had acne. And that's just, you know, something that I have just learned yeah, to I'm get gonna leave with this earth with big boobs maintain. Unless I do something about it. I mean, like, that's just what it is. I don't like them. But I, I just accept them as being a part of my body and who I am. And so I give reverence to them because my mother um, had breast cancer and had to walk around the earth with just one boob. And I think until you, yeah. until you go, through with, go through, walk with somebody through that journey, you, you don't always appreciate your body in mm. the same way. And, and, and so I just, I've learned to love yes. and accept my dark skin. I've learned to be free from the slavery I was under with my hair. I get to have fun with my hair. I get to have no hair, some hair, whatever. Um, and even my boobs that I say I don't like, I, I, I bless them and nurture them because they gave food to all four of my children for all of, you know, to, to get them to toddler. So I just, I go, listen, I'd love if you sit up underneath my, my throat and my neck. Like, that's how high I want them, underneath my throat. But the universe said, no, <laughs> sis. We're going to let them lay low. But you know what I mean? So I just think wherever you are, and I guess this, this is going to be my final word um, as we wrap up this podcast, where you sit in your journey of coming to self-love and acceptance, Start with what Dan said. Sit with yourself about what is it about you that you don't like that you were then giving to your kids. And then those kids become adult and take that into the workplace um, and make their issues around their color, their hair, their texture, make that somebody else's issue, i.e. white people, brown people, or any, any other people. Sit with, what did I give my child to contribute to them not feeling good? And then correct that and change it. Your, your last word, Dan? Yeah. I think my last word is, is if you want accountable children, you need to be accountable. If you want your children to demonstrate that they can treat people well, you need to be the person that treats people well. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing because everybody's gonna do what they do. But if you demonstrate that you can do those things, you will create young people who can do that too. So if you are the parent today telling your child that they look better, are better, only because of their skin and hair texture. Maybe think about that and think about what sort of young person that, you're guys, creating. Thank you for joining you us that. on another Friday for another podcast. We will see you back here next Friday. Thank you guys for hanging with us. Thank you so much, guys, for spending some time today and hanging with us. Let's keep the conversation hot. 
follow us on Facebook at Labelled Accordingly. Or if you'd like to talk to us privately, email us at labeledaccordingly at gmail.com. See you guys back here next Friday for a new episode. And, and out this yeah, yeah.